You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 123 of the Pimp Crown Warhammer Podcast, and that's brought to you today by GameMat.eu for all your pre-painted terrain and your game mat needs. Well, it's also brought to you by our lovable Patreon patrons, and if you want to hop on over to patreon.com slash pimpcron, you can help support the show. So, enough of that. What is this episode about, you might be asking, if you are illiterate and did not read the title or the description on your podcast app. Well, we have a real talk asking, does Warhammer make us some materialistic pieces of shit? And it very well could. Let's discuss that in the real talk. And also, we have a Tesseract mailbox where Todd thinks that the brutality gauntlet is too hard, but maybe he's judging it too soon. Then we have a Want That or Want That Not with the various pins and iron-on patches games workshop is releasing it sounds weird trust me it and it is (laughs) so that's what we're up to what have we been up to this week well i just had um a arena game brutality gauntlet game with my friend matt he came over and we played that he only survived to turn three out of five and he kind of got his ass kicked but he had some really bad it really I was rolling for the NPCs, and he was rolling for his party, and I can't tell you, I was on fire. I was rolling far better than I ever roll for my own people. I can't tell you, I lost count of how many critical hits I rolled for the enemies. It's not even funny. And uh, it was pretty funny, the very first turn, (laughs) this air elemental came in and decided that it did not like his ranged guy. It comes in, it picks him up, it throws him against the wall, it charges him, it beats the crap out of him, and then it throws him into one of his minions, it kills the minion from the impact, and uh, this dude had his weapon broken and he was confused. So that was the very... That was the very first turn of the game. So uh, from then on, it was basically just downhill. Um, He had some ridiculous fails. Um, One time he had three, one through eight, 80% chance saves and failed it all on nines and tens. Like it just, he was rolling garbage. I was rolling hot. So he made it to turn uh, gauntlet round three out of five. And um, that was pretty darn funny. And, uh, what else? We also, online, actually, on Tabletop Simulator, uh, my friend Eric and I played the narrative module that I've been coming up with. It's basically a D&D campaign for brutality, essentially. It tells a story, it's got some combat in it, it's also got some exploration in it, it's open world, it's pretty cool, and I'm pretty happy with the groundwork for it. We actually shared that on the uh, Facebook page, and, um... That was pretty fun. We had a uh, comedy of errors, is what it was. And uh, it was... Uh, I forgot. Oh, we um, freed... What really did us in is we were ha- holding tough pretty well. We got it about halfway through the map. And we decided that we were going to free some slaves that were there. And then as soon as we freed the slaves, they attacked us. All three of them. And they basically whooped our butt, is what the slaves did. And we're like, dude, I am freeing you. Like, why are you... So the title of the uh, post I made on Brutality Facebook group is like, that's the last time we free slaves. (laughs) Or free captives. It was really captives, not slaves. But 
Um, this is the last time we free captives, because they just turned on us and beat the snot out of us. We lost at least one of our models. I think we actually lost two out of uh, two of our models from the captives attacking us. Now, of course, that's not a guaranteed thing. The way this whole works is uh, there's four outcomes for every time you roll, and um, it's, it's different every time you play it through. So another time the captives could have joined us, or they could have just fled, or they could have given us something, or whatever. But the point is, is that we just had some really terrible luck. and uh, But it was fun, and that's the point. So we were playing that. Um, but when um, Matt actually played the narrative, which is what Eric and I had played and got our butts handed to us, when Matt played it, he actually beat it. And he lost one or two models through the whole thing. But he didn't. all we did, Eric and I, we rolled nothing but combat. Like every encounter, it's like a 20 to 25% chance that in any given room, you're going to have a, a combat with, with enemies. And um, so most of the time you're not. And we rolled for practically every single room. We would um, uh, roll enemies and we just got worn down and worn down and worn down. So that was what was our problem was he also had combat, but it wasn't, it was more along the lines of what it should have been about 20, 25% of the time. And, um, he was able to beat the boss. The boss is the one that killed one or two of his people at the end. So that was pretty cool though. And, uh, Matt seemed to really like it. So that's exciting. He said it reminded him a lot of the old D and D modules, which makes me happy because, you know, I like D and D and stuff like that. But of course it's using brutality rules and it's supposed to be solo or co-op or ran by a DM. It, it really doesn't matter. You can do it all those ways. So, uh, switching gears here this week at the gaming club, I decided, you know what, I'm going to dust off my Lizardmen, my Seraphim for Age of Sigmar. I haven't played them in a long time. I've got no idea how well they work. You know, I'm just going to go ahead and play them. So I played my buddy G TJ, and I got looking at this, and I'm like, you know, I love these Bastilodons, which are essentially an Ankylosaurus with a gem on top. And they have this searing beam attack, which used to be pretty meh, but apparently it's been bumped up. I haven't played Seraphim in probably a year, so I didn't remember all these abilities, but... Essentially, it's nine shots, 24 inches, and it hits on fours, it's threes to wound, it's minus one, two damage. So it's a pretty reliable, like, six damage will do, and uh, that's pretty cool. So I decided, well, I'm going to take both of them. So I took two Basilis, uh, uh, Bastilodons, and they both have the gem. And then I found out that my chapter that I took, my whatever you call it, um, for one command point, it allowed one of your Bastilodons to shoot again at the end of the shooting phase. So in Age of Sigmar, you're not limited. You can do the same command ability from two different people in the same turn. It doesn't matter. You can do that. You just can't do it to the same unit, but whatever. So I would spend two command points each turn, and I would make both of my Bastilodons shoot twice. So that was, I don't know, 36 shots a turn. And needless to say, we quit at the end of turn three because... And we were just doing kill points, and he was uh, taking his typical list of... Neferata and Vampire Lord on Terrorgeist and the like 10 or 15 Blood Knights. It's a, it's a typical list he normally runs for that army. And um, normally they bash my teeth in, but this Seraphin, man, they are disgusting. And afterwards, Josh told me they're like top tier, which I can see now. So I thought, okay, we played three rounds in like uh, an hour and a half. So I said, look, let's just, I'm going to make a completely different list, take a different fact uh, chapter and let's play a different game let's just completely remake the list and do it again he said okay and it was at the end of turn three that we were winning uh 11 to 
two, I think it was. Something like that. And, dude, the the Seraphim are so good. I mean, it was it was really, really good. So, um, I don't entirely attribute that to me. It's just that I was shocked at how good they were. Um, even my Skinks had a use, and they only have a six-up save. But I kept tying up his Blood Knights, and uh, that was kind of funny. And I made up... Uh, TJ didn't sound super thrilled about it, but... Um, I would tie up, I would charge him and just tie up one of his knights out of 10. And then he really couldn't have, he really couldn't pile into me very well for combat. And then he'd retreat and then I would charge and tie up one of his knights and he'd have a hard time piling for combat. And then he'd retreat and then I charge him again, three turns in a row that happened. And I, I was saying that, uh, uh, cause we were fighting over an objective and I was saying that his blood knights for some reason are terrified of skinks, like the whole elephant and, elephant and mouse thing where it's like oh shit it's a mouse even though you're a giant elephant so these blood knights were just ter- they were phobic against skinks and it was pretty hilarious that i chased these nasty nasty blood knights around with a bunch of six up save skinks it was that really made my night but other than that they uh they did a good job and uh that that um uh slan star master or whatever he's no joke either he casts three spells each turn and denies three times each turn. And each turn in the hero phase, he, on a, he roll two dice, and on four ups, he gives you uh, a command point. Like, that is that is nuts. He's very good. Now he's like 300 points or something stupid, and he's only got seven wounds and a four up. So, I mean, he's definitely killable. But um, it was it was fun, but oh my gosh, I had no idea they were that powerful. So... Um, the previous times I had played them, I guess with the old rulebook, they were very meh, like very, very meh, but I was happy. They did a couple adjustments to the Seraphim that made them far more useful, such as the Seraphim, like the Sauruses and the Saurus Knights and all that, they had a five up save originally and their shield allowed them to ignore rend minus one. So if you were minus two rend, then you just got no save at all. But if you're minus one, you were still a five up save. Well, now they've gotten rid of that rend rule, and now they've just given them plus one save. So now they're all four up save, and they take rend as normal versus a five up save, and they ignored rend one, which obviously is infinitely better because now if there's rend zero, you're getting a four up save. Like it's infinitely better. So I'm happy about that. Um, but anyway, I'm probably gonna play them again this week because they were they were really fun, and now I realize that. Um, they're kind of powerful, so I can make fun lists with them, and I'm not at, like, a, a terrible disadvantage in a game. So, especially TJ generally brings some pretty competitive stuff compared to what I bring. Um, he's limited in the, in the models he's got for each army. You know, he's only got, like, a, a certain list or whatever, so I, I usually have more variety in my armies, but, um, uh, at least I know I can still play against him, and I'm not just gonna get completely trounced. Like, when I played his, his, um... Uh, soul blight before with nephrata and all that the same thing i played this week when he brought that before and i brought my missiles he just completely ate my lunch so then like a year later i'm like oh well i'm gonna play my missiles again and i i tried really hard i talked about it like two months ago and uh his his people ate my lunch again so it's like oh anyway so that was fun and uh, so we've got a lot of gaming in, believe it or not. And Christmas was good. I got to tell you, they're not a sponsor of the show, but you know what I love? Jelly Bellies. That's right. I love Jelly Bellies. And I've been eating them this, this whole time. And they are amazing. Each one of them is like a bouquet of flavor in your mouth. Sometimes they're horrible combinations. <laughs> like root beer and kiwi. Not my favorite combination. 
like butter popcorn and, I don't know, eggplant or whatever the hell this purple is. Hate it. Not good. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> and in final news, just to change gears once again, I released the Brutality, Bestiary, and Gauntlet mode this week. And um, we've sold several copies of that, um, so I'm, I'm happy about that. And the reception has been warm. I've gotten a little, several people saying they really like it. And uh, you'll hear a little bit more about that in the Tesseract mailbox. But um, anyway, it is our first official printed supplement. So that's exciting. Adds a bunch. Of, adds a new mission. Adds 10 new model abilities. Adds uh, five new merchant specializations for narratives. Adds, um, what, three new legendary traits and stuff like that. So my favorite new legendary trait, there's a there's one where you can become creatures like a beast form, but my favorite one is the explode one. So as soon as you lose your last hit point, you literally explode and you hit everyone within, I think, 12 inches. Like it's a massive explosion. And uh, that's also fun. So, all right, well, that is it. Let's get to the first segment of the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Well, for this edition of the Tesseract Mailbox, we have we have a letter from Todd. And Todd writes, Hi, Scott. I'm... Oh, this is from a Brutality Skirmish Wargame at gmail.com instead of the actual pimpcron at gmail.com. It just so happens to be a Brutality message, so I decided to throw it in here. He writes, Hi, Scott. I'm writing you on here because I can't post on the Facebook page for some reason. Can you look into that? Anyway, I bought the PDF and soft cover of your Bestiary and Gauntlet Mode book as soon as you put it up for sale. Fucking brilliant. But I do have an issue. Maybe I'm doing something wrong, but... Uh, maybe I'm doing something wrong, but the Gauntlet seems very difficult. I've played it twice and lost both games. I was wondering what the difficulty... The, what the intended difficulty was for the game. How hard is it to win? I understand that maybe I've just played badly, but it seemed off. I would have to admit that some of the rolls in the gauntlet certainly did not benefit me. The first turn of the first round of the first game I played, my leader got killed immediately by a bear that came in, <laughs> who then maimed another one of my models. In retrospect, that's kind of funny, but I just wanted to know if you had any advice. Anyway, Beast Jerry and the New Merchants are tip-top. Looking forward to my store campaign we are starting in a couple weeks, Todd. Well, first off, thank you so much for supporting Brutality and supporting the Bestiary. I greatly appreciate it, and uh, uh, thank you for hopping on that immediately. And um, hopefully you'll have your soft cover in the next two weeks or whatever. Um, that's usually the turnaround time from order to delivery, at least in my experience. Um, let me start with the first thing you said, that the gauntlet seems difficult. So, um, as far as the gauntlet seeming difficult... It is certainly not designed to be easy, that's for sure, but it's also not designed to not be winnable. And essentially what these type of things boil down to is, of, co of course, a couple bad rolls can really hurt you, but it's death by a million cuts. And what I mean by that is, is you can heal hit points, but you generally can't heal a stat effect. And this is actually what uh, me and my friend Eric just realized recently, is that the all the wound chart rolls eventually pile up. And by, you know, a little while of playing, you've got minus two this, minus one that, minus three that, and you're starting to be injured greatly. Um, that's one of the things I love about this game is that hit points are not just directly your health. You have an overall health because of injuries, and I really like that. So when I was playtesting the gauntlet, what I did is in about probably a dozen games of playing the gauntlet, 
I won about 50% of them. <laughs> so and that was and that was my target goal. I kind of tweaked things a little bit. You know, a lot of these models though, if you're using the basic the NPC bestiary models in the book, they all have different power levels. They might be the same point level, but a one point this and a one point that may not be exactly the same. So you can't quite you know, it depends on what models you're bringing, so you can't quite compare the two, you know, like, a, I'll just say, I don't know the points, but like a one-point goblin is not the same as a one-point sprite or fairy. They're just different creatures. So they're roughly the same, sure, but they are they play differently. And brutality, the dice will screw you just as soon as anything else. So me being a seasoned person who knows how to play the game, I'm not a super competitive player, but I know how to play the game and I know how it runs, I can win about 50% of my games. And that, you know, that works. That is the whole point. I don't want a game that you're going to win 90% of the time. That's gonna, not going to be any fun for you. And a lot of people, it sounds like you soloed this. So a lot of people don't realize that when you solo games, it's, you don't want it easy on you. You actually want it harder than like, so if five, a scale of one to 10, five is completely even. You want it to be like a six or a seven in difficulty. You don't want it to be a one or a two because you want it to be challenging. And you really, like if you cheat when you're doing solo gaming or if you play something that was just far too easy, it's kind of shallow. There's no real feeling of triumph when you play a solo game and it's just too easy. So the idea was is that, yes, you can adjust the difficulty and the way you would do that is you pick weaker enemies. So if you find that... I'll just go back to the sprite and the goblin. If you find the goblin is far too strong at one point, then start taking sprites at one point. Or, or whatever you feel like doing. And you can affect things that way. Also, your whole pool of enemies, if you're doing the gauntlet, just make sure that your pool of enemies are not super powerful. Don't throw any monsters in there. Don't throw any... I mean, if, if you really find it too difficult, don't throw any upgraded models in there. Just make them all basic, you know, one-point goblin, one-point sprite, whatever. And that will help you greatly. Um, but having said that, the bear thing is pretty darn funny. Come on, you can't you can't even deny... Oh, you don't in the, in the letter, but you can't deny the bear thing's pretty funny. And that is the comedy of errors that is brutality. Um, the, the thing that will screw you the most is probably the dice. And um, even though most of the time the fail rate, you know, for a lot of these things, you have a critical success and a critical fail in almost every single roll that you do. So, you know, if you're trying to roll low, a 10 is always a fail. If you're trying to roll high, a 1 is always a fail. Like, it's just, it's just the way it is. It's built into the game so that it is much more balanced like that. So, um, I'm glad you're having fun, but I would definitely give the gauntlet another try. And, you know, your list, it, it's not just the NPCs here. The list is also, could be your problem. You got to make sure you're taking some highly synergized things. You need to treat the gauntlet as a tournament, essentially. And you might want to take, you know, uh, an icon for rerolling saves or rerolling hits, or you might want to take, you certainly want to take someone with healing. You, I would 100% suggest that at least one of your people has the healing power. Maybe give it to a fanatic and they can heal twice because, you know, success is a critical or something of that nature. Um, I know uh, one person told me that. A really good six-point list to take would be two fanatics and uh, two breachers, B 
because the fanatics can heal everybody and they can protect each other and all that. And then also the, um, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A fanatic, an icon and two breachers. And the icon is rerolling saves for everybody. The fanatic is double healing everybody each turn. And then the breachers are getting all amped up by the, the two support people and they go ape on people. So um, that is one thing that somebody said works really well for them. And that enables them to really take some nasty enemies because they're all tooled up and buffing each other. So that is also a suggestion. And it is true, while everybody has access to all of the options in Brutality, some things in any situation, some things are going to be better suited to what you're doing than other things. So obviously like a, um, a sentry, the person that shoots in Overwatch as soon as you get within four inches of them, that is an ideal person to have in the gauntlet mode because you can help defend the whole unit, keep everyone close together, and the sentry can protect 180 degrees of that. So there's there are things to do. An icon is definitely worth taking. A fanatic would be worth taking. Um, in a lot of ways, a bre- uh, rampager is worth taking for melee because this is only a 20 by 20 area. So a lot of times enemies will be within six inches of each other. So you take that rampager, you beef them up with a support person and you start rampaging around. So there are multiple ways. The thing about brutality is that it's supposed to be the playground for you to do what you want. So if you want to make it harder, you make it harder, choose harder options. If you want to make it easier, choose easier options. Like that's exactly how it should work. So anyway, thank you, Todd, for writing in. I greatly appreciate it. And if anybody doesn't know the uh, pimpcron at gmail.com, then you can email at Brutality, but pimpcron I see more often. So anyway, let's go on to the next segment. Want that or want that not? Hey, on this version of... This version, what am I talking about? This edition of... Want that or want that not, Pimpcron is not going to discuss models at all because, I don't know, this is a a weird segment. So, I'm scrolling on the new releases for Games Workshop, and I haven't heard a word about this, but then again, I'm pretty much in the dark, so I maybe you guys already know about this, but Games Workshop is releasing all of this, um, these metal pins, and I would say, like, for your bag or your transport or your, I don't know, but... It's it's strange. Like they don't actually say what they're for. Warhammer 40k mystery faction pin badge. So for a second, I see these uh, 12 different pin badges, right, from factions, and um, they're metal pins. And there's Tyranids, there's Chaos, Necrons, Orcs, Eldar, Tau. Pretty much every single one of the major factions, right? Even Sisters of Battle. And um, I see these metal pins, and I'm like, wow, that's really nice. And it's only 6.99. I mean, this is a small pin, right? But six ninety nine, okay. Like, I'm I'm pretty much on board with this. Six ninety nine for a pin. I could buy a Necron pin or whatever. It's a mystery faction pin badge, and I'm like, are you serious that this is a blind booster for pin badges? Is that is that what we're doing now? Let's let's take a look. It says features one random faction pin badge from twelve designs. Uh, or the the rare golden Aquila. Like, seriously? <laughs> is this where we're going, Games Workshop? The pins look perfectly fine. They're like stamped metal, it looks like. And, and that's all well and good. I am not paying $7 for a random badge. Just not doing that. Um, maybe if you're really into hero clicks or magic or things that are normal, you know, blind boosters. 
but I'm not doing that. A pin, I mean, I have limited use for a pin as it is, so, you know, that's that's already pushing it for me. $7 for a pin, I'm like, you know what? Fine, I'll buy it. But if I don't get to choose my pin, that's kind of a deal breaker for me. Not not really having a Games Workshop, that's definitely a want that not for me. Even though the pins look, you know, adequate, they're stamped metal, they look totally adequate. Um, so you might go, oh, well, that was a short segment. No, I'm actually going to review all of this weird shit they've got up here. Here's a Koyo, I guess that's the manufacturer, Koyo Warhammer 40k Paint Your Own Space Marine Pin Badge. So let's click on that. That's $11 for a Space Marine pin. Okay, let's see the key features here. Paint Your Own Pin Badge. Depicts a, primar a Primaris Intercessor and 3D design for easier painting. <sighs> it's $11 for a metal pin of an Intercessor. And... I have such mixed feelings on it because it's $11 for a freaking pin, right? And looking at the images, it appears to be, I don't know, two inch and a half long, probably an inch and a half long. So it's not a super small pin as far as pins go, but they want you to paint your own damn pin, which kind of bothers me. And for $11, they're going to make me paint my own pin. I mean, if you said $6.99 for this, if you gave me the other price, and you're like, hey, paint your own pin, idiot, then I'd be like, okay, fine, you know, I'm only paying $6, $7, but $11 for this pin, and then I have to paint it? Mmm, no, sir, not doing that. Sorry, that's a want that not for me as well. So far, you're 0-2, you're GW, let's check out what other stuff you've got. Oh, look, here's another random-ass thing you're releasing. Black Library Character Patch Set? What? Black Library Character Cloth Patch Set. Okay, let's let's take a look at this. $20 for this patch set. A set of five cloth patches. Okay. Show your love for Black Library characters. Uh, okay. Iron them on your clothes or bags. Mmm, this is... This is something else. So they got a pin. It's a bloody goblet for Neferata. Alright. They have... I can't even tell what this is. It's like rifles. It's lasgun rifles, I think. It's some sort of diamond shape, and it's Carl Jericho. I hope someone knows what this is, because I got no idea what the hell this is. Then there is Ephriel Stern. It's a big power sword, which I also don't know who that is. Gotrick Grunson, or Gernson, I know who that is. It's a big axe. And then there's also Eisenhorn, and it's a locked-up Inquisitor book i don't know gw like you're you're really i applaud you for trying something different right i applaud you for trying to be like oh let's get into the let's get into the cloth character patch set business i i'm sure someone's gonna buy this it's twenty dollars for five patches um i find it a little suspect that they don't se seem to give you an image of how large these patches are and they don't seem to say so that is one thing i find a little suspect if they are fairly large patches, then five of them for 20 bucks, well, that's not so bad. If they are teeny tiny patches, five of them for 20 bucks is kind of meh. But also, you got to buy the whole set. You can't buy a single... Okay, so let's say, let's just, let's just throw this out here. I am, number one, the type of person who would buy an iron-on patch, which uh, I'm not. Number two, 
Um, I just absolutely love Eisenhorn. Man, I love Eisenhorn. He's the best. I love the whole book series. I love the name Eisenhorn. I like the way it feels on my tongue when I say the word Eisenhorn. Uh, my dog's name is Eisenhorn. I just love everything about Eisenhorn, right? Just, just, man, I have a whap thinking about Eisenhorn, okay? All right, well, <laughs> I gotta buy the whole freaking set of five patches. Like, I don't give a, if I love Eisenhorn, I don't give a shit about Neferata. I don't care about Cal Jericho, whatever his name is, Cal Jericho, or Efren, Efrael Stern, whoever the hell that is, or Gotrick. I don't care about any of those people. I just love Eisenhorn, and I gotta essentially pay $20 for an Eisenhorn patch. I, you know what? While I suppose a patch may be more up my alley, I still don't really see the point. And, I mean, I guess the one thing they've got going for them is this is not a blind booster for, for iron-on patches. I guess that works. It's, at least you know what you're getting. But you got to buy five patches. Couldn't you just release them $4 a piece? Make them 5 bucks a piece. and Because more than likely, no one's going to want all five of these patches. I feel like you're wasting fabric. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too negative. Is that what it is? Just because I love Eisenhorn so much and I don't care for these other idiots on these patches that maybe I'm just being hard to please. Who knows? Once again, got to give them a little bit of credit for trying to break out of their comfort zone just a little bit and try something new and have some patches and some pins. But honestly, if you want my honest opinion, because you know me, I'm not full of opinions. I don't often give them freely. But I, this is a 0 for 3 as far as want that's. I totally don't want any of these. Maybe it's because I'm unfair and I'm not a pin or a patch person. Uh, let me rank them at least. I would say out of all these, the Paint Your Own Space Marine pin, I guess, is my number one that I would want, but I don't. <laughs> and then I guess the Iron-On Patches would be the second thing I want, but I also don't. And then the random ass mystery pin badge, that just pisses me off. I am actually mad at this random ass mystery faction pin badge. I just don't... <sighs> it really bothers me. I like to know what I'm going to be getting. I don't like this random shit. Just my luck. I would buy this, spend $7 on a freaking stupid pin, and I'm going to get Tau, or I'm going to get Eldar, or Admech. Because those three things I don't play. So that would be great. I don't know. I feel like something like this just benefits the aftermarket more than it benefits the actual company. Because the aftermarket, you know there's going to be people that buy this and then sell them online for a higher price. You know, somebody's going to end up buying this for 7 bucks and sell it for 15 and go, hey, remember how you like orcs? Yeah, well, here's a freaking orc pin and you don't have to spend $70 trying to get the orc pin. It's just... I don't know. I'm frustrated by this. So anyway, this is all stupid in my opinion. I'm not a big fan of it, but you do have to give them kudos for trying something a little different. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Hey y'all, I've gathered you here today to discuss whether or not we are all superficial materialistic pieces of shit or not for liking Warhammer. So a little bit of background. Um, I have always come from a very, very uh, sensible, pragmatic, uh, no-frills sort of background. My attitude towards fashion and clothing and keeping up with the Joneses really just doesn't exist. It, it, there's no attitude at all because I could not give a shit about it. Do you realize that 
all the years when I was making my own board games and things like that, before I was into Warhammer, all my board games were made on, you know, regular plain paper I'd print out or drawn or, you know, craftily made, like I colored them and drew them and, and all that. Um, I made my own card games and I would print them out. I made a template for a piece of paper that would print out nine cards at a time and I would cut them out and then put them in sleeves with some sort of like magic card mana or something behind it to give it rigidity. But it would be the right size and everything. Instead of buying, you know, uh, poster board, I mean, uh, cardstock paper or whatever, I just didn't do that. I would do everything on the cheap. So I built many, many, many board games with a budget of like less than $10. I was super cheap. And um, that was basically it. I never gave any thought to it. And as far as my clothing habits go, I have almost all of the same. I've been out of high school for, uh, I don't know. 17 years, 17 years. It's hard to believe, but I've been out of high school for 17 years and it is, uh, I have most of my wardrobe is the same wardrobe I had in high school because I have not changed my style in high school. I wore jeans and t-shirts with nerdy things on it, like Ninja Turtles or Mario or whatever. And now I still wear those same shirts and pants with Mario or whatever. Most of the time I just wear my work outfit. Like I have a, you know, a t-shirt for work, like a, like an outfit for a polo for work and then work pants. And when I'm not at work, I generally just wear those clothes on my days off. Having said all of this, I sometimes feel like Warhammer over the last many years that I have um, done it it has made me slightly materialistic. And here's here's the thing I want to discuss, because what is the definition of materialistic? Typically, you'd say materialistic is someone that l cares about how people see them and has to have the nicest, most expensive things, and, and they show love through money. You know, they'll get you gifts, but they won't spend any time with you, that sort of thing, or they'll send you money because that's easy, but don't ask for a favor or something like that. And they value their life in terms of things. Like, oh, how many things do I have? Oh, I have six cars. Oh, I have a mansion, whatever. But on another way, sometimes I, uh, I feel like Warhammer, I'm always in the mood for more Warhammer. Or just miniatures in general, for brutality or whatever. And I'm always feeling to myself like, oh man, there's a unit I don't own, or oh, look, there's a faction that I, I have never played before, you know, I'd like to start playing that faction, and it has really gotten me in a habit of, I don't spend a million dollars on, on the hobby, but I do spend way more money than I used to for $10 a board game, sort of thing, when I was making my own games, and I remember when, I've told the story before, probably on the podcast, but before I ever got into Warhammer, I was looking for miniatures for a game I was making, and I looked and found Space Marines, and I was like, oh, whoa, what is this game? I really like this. I'm going to, you know, take a look at this, and I might buy some. And then I looked, and at the time, 10 Space Marines was like 25 bucks. And I'm like, 25 bucks for 10 of these guys? No way. And then I got looking further, and I'm like, wait a second. They're not even painted or assembled? There is no way I'm paying $25 for 10 dudes. And hopefully some of you are laughing now, because... Now, even me, I'm like, oh, wow, 25 bucks for tax squad. Pretty good. Like, what is it? 40, 45 now. And it might be just five people. I don't even know off the top of my head. But my constant appetite for buying more Warhammer 
kind of gives me the feeling sometimes like it's kind of like if you hung out with a bunch of hippies, right? Like your, your group of friends was a bunch of hippies and that's the way you used to see life. And then all of a sudden you clean yourself up and you get some desk job. You'd run into those old hippies and they're like, dude, what happened to you, man? You used to be cool. That's kind of how I feel about myself. Sometimes I feel like the past me would look at the stuff I've bought for Warhammer and go, man, you used to be cool. What happened to you? Because I, I'm afraid of the, the fact that I've lost my way in the way of, I used to be like super, you know, um, I guess frugal would be the right way, but not really. I would still spend stuff on money on stuff that I wanted. I mean, it's, it's not like that. It's just that when it came to my board games and all, I could get away with much cheaper things. So this game, you really can't get away with much cheaper things. So you end up buying stuff. Well, then you end up buying more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And then you end up buying whole new armies and, and all this stuff. And they do a fairly good job of keeping you constantly buying new things. And that's not for me chasing the meta or whatever. It's just the fact that every time I see a new army, I go, oh man, I'd like to try them out. See what the strategy is behind that army. And Games Workshop does a Games Workshop does a pretty good job of making all of their armies feel different. Some of them feel a little samey, but most of them feel different. If you play Gloom, Gloom Spite Gets, or if you play uh, Ossiarch Bone Reapers, that's two very different feels for armies. Um, the same thing with Grey Knights versus, I don't know, Tyranids. It's a very different feel. So Just James and I have almost all the armies, and it's because we're constantly like, oh, dude, let me try that. Oh, dude, let me try that. And it just it just snowballs. So I just feel sometimes like, am I becoming materialistic? And I guess it would boil down to your definition of that. If your definition is... Uh, materialism is a lifestyle. Like, oh, you always have to have the newest, best of everything. You got to have the newest car, the best house, blah, 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 the nice clothes. Then I guess that's, you know, I mean, I, I guess that's materialism. But what about I always want more models? What, what, how does that fall in the spectrum of materialism? My, the rest of my life is not like that. Everything I own is in incredibly average, incredibly normal. Not great, not terrible, just normal. But when it comes to Warhammer, it's always more, more, more. You always want more things. And ultimately, after a lot of soul searching, I feel like Warhammer in a small way has made me more materialistic because I did not really covet things I did not covet my possessions prior to Warhammer very much. I mean, my games did mean a lot to me, but they were made of poster board and marker. Like, they weren't... The actual value of them was exactly nothing. But I had personal value in them. Now, like, my Warhammer... One of the worst things in the world I could think of would be, like, you know, my the place where my Warhammer stuff catches fire or something. And then, oh my god, I would lose so much. And it's it's very concerning, and no amount of insurance is going to bring any of that back, really. I mean, yes, the insurance will pay, but the point is is that you are losing all of that time and money invested in these models. And I think that's partially it. I think the materialism is only a small facet of your life. And if you are not all about the newest, best stuff in the rest of your life, you can't really be called materialistic. But I do feel like Warhammer, in a way, can help breed materialism in a person 
like it has in me because now suddenly there are objects that I covet. I look at the new models and I'm like, oh, wow, those look really nice. I mean, essentially, the whole want that or want that not section of this podcast is coveting, right? It's coveting new stuff. And there's technically nothing wrong with that as long as it doesn't bleed out in the rest of your life. But I would like you to think about your own personal experience and wonder... Do you think that you are materialistic if you cut Warhammer completely out? Do you feel like you are materialistic as a person? Do you have a super nice car? Do you have a really big house? Do you only wear the fashionable stuff, you know? Or are you just like a normal person, like most people are, but when it comes to Warhammer, you can never get enough of it? I feel like Warhammer definitely has the capacity to make you more materialistic, whether you want to be or not. Because while I don't think it's bled into the rest of my life, um, I do feel like in just the the aspect of Warhammer, it has made me more materialistic because I'm constantly wanting more new, new units and I greatly do care about your army. Can you imagine just the feeling for a heartbeat? And I feel like this goes for any of us. You've assembled and painted these models and then all of a sudden someone drops it off an overpass and a car just crushes the entire case. Just picture that in your head for a second and you would go, oh my God, like that would be so heartbreaking. And there you go right there. But then again, Warhammer, I guess it would happen to go with any hobby because if you're a book lover and you just read books constantly, if someone set fire to your entire bookshelf, you would have the same reaction. If you're a golfer and you have prime golf clubs that you paid a ton of money for and you love them so much and someone just went and hit them on a telephone pole and bent and broke every single one of them, you'd be heartbroken. If you work on hot rods and someone just wrecked your hot rod you've been working so hard on, you'd be heartbroken. So while I am concerned about becoming materialistic, I think that I'm overreacting or I'm taking it too seriously because in my final decision, my final verdict in this, I don't think Warhammer makes you materialistic per se, because my definition of it would be that your entire life is materialistic and that's your viewpoint on life. But I would say that it definitely could start edging you closer into that buy, buy, buy. And then when you bought all the Warhammer you want, then it might start leaking into other things. Oh, buy, buy, buy. I got to buy all the DVDs. I got to buy all the whatever. I mean, DVDs are kind of outdated now, but you get the point. Like you got to, you got to buy all the memorabilia for Star Wars, or you got to buy all the comics or it, I could definitely see that negatively impacting someone. And that kind of goes back to that conversation we had um, probably a year or two ago on the podcast where some of your friends, you know, it might actually be a negative impact on them for them to get into Warhammer. And the reason why is that they may not be able to save money or they might uh, spend too much money on stuff. And you know that Warhammer is certainly a rabbit hole, just like magic, just like Heroclix, just like any of these hobby things, just like golf or hot rodding. All of these hobbies can be a serious rabbit hole as far as money goes. And um, just people have to be on guard. But the final verdict is it does not necessarily make you uh, materialistic, but it definitely could help make you materialistic. So anyway, if you have uh, if you want to self-diagnose yourself and uh, tell me how old your clothes are that you wear, <laughs> it's funny. I never even thought about that. Like that makes me feel so poor that most of my t-shirts are from high school. Now, one thing it makes me happy that most of my clothing from high school still fits me. So that's, that's a positive. But on the other hand, like I'm looking, 
I'm looking at a t-shirt right now. It's it's at least 17 years old. I got it in high school, so probably 18 years old, maybe 20. And it's doesn't have holes in it, so I'll just keep wearing it occasionally. <laughs> it's just, it's so weird. It's one of those things, like, I just had to figure out how long I'd been out of high school. And I'm like, oh, 17 years. Well, that's, that's quite some time. So, uh, it just seems weird when you think about it and time creeps up on you, but... I mean, if a shirt doesn't have holes in it, you just keep it. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, that is it for this podcast. Thank you so much to GameMat.eu for supporting the show. And thank you so much to my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon subscribers. I do appreciate your support. I truly do. I'm not blowing smoke. It means a lot to me. So we will see you next week. And uh, until then, um, go look through your clothes. You probably still have stuff from high school. <laughs>